Good morning. What a joy to be together today. We are finishing out our Disciple Life series. We've been doing this the last two weeks, uh, talking about kind of our discipleship strategy as a church, which is probably one of the most boring churchy phrases you've heard in the last couple of days. Uh, days. But uh, I think there's actually something really good here for us. If you guys uh, are, are, don't know what that phrase means, discipleship uh, strategy or discipleship um, in general, this is just the way that our elders are kind of fleshed out our vision as a church, right? Like what, what we think it looks like for us together as a family to grow in our faith. Matthew 28, if you go and read the Great Commission, makes it really clear we are all called to make disciples who make more disciples, right? To, to follow Jesus is to be a disciple here and not like a student of Jesus. This is the call of every Christian. It's the call of every church. We at Emmanuel articulate that universal Christian mission in our little mission statement. As Christ pours into you, he pours out of you. This means that we believe that, the, that, that it is out of the overflow of Christ's own love and ministry to you that you engage in the mission of making disciples yourself, right? So a church's discipleship strategy is essentially just how they take that and put it into practice. How does that uh, work its way out into your actual life? How does that move beyond uh, just a catchy phrase or some imaginative metaphor and move into real life. We, we really, as we kind of thought about our mission statement, as Christ pours into you, he pours out of you, we landed on these three ideas that we've talked about the last three weeks. Grow, connect, share. You can, by the way, if you're interested in digging a little more into this, you can grab a little discipleship handout we have on the table back there on your way out and read about it. But what we've kind of talked about so far is this. Grow, right? Like every single person who follows Jesus has next steps in their spiritual health. You don't, you don't reach a point in your Christian journey where you're just like, it's cool, I'm done. I figured out the Jesus thing. Like, I'm there, right? Like, there's always more growth, more healing, more repentance, more maturity, more sanctification. Until you're in eternity with Jesus, you have next steps in your faith because healthy things grow, right? And then last week, uh, Jesse took us to the second piece and talked about connection. How, how we intermingle ourselves with the life of the local church. Spiritual growth will always lead to greater connection with the family of God. And then beyond this, and, and Pastor Jesse hit on this, I think, really well for us, God has ordered his church such that every piece is needed. Right? When we talked about the idea of different spiritual gifts and different strengths and weaknesses, and the analogy the Bible gives is of a body full of different organs and parts, this means... That without you, if you're in Christ, without you, the church hurts. We're all members one another, members of one body. We need one another. In the Bible, there is no such thing as solo Christianity. The whole idea of just going, I know Jesus, me and Jesus are good, so I'm good. The Bible doesn't leave room for that. <clears throat> if you're getting to know the, the Jesus of the Bible and growing your faith, you'll, you'll connect yourself to the people of God. And then today we're going to talk about this idea of sharing. What it means to, to join with Jesus and join with your church in the larger gospel ministry. As you grow in your faith, you'll connect with the body of Christ. And as you grow in your faith and connect with the body of Christ, you will begin to share your faith. Sharing is a natural outpouring of growing in your faith and connecting 
with the body. We're going to talk about that today. What does it look like to be someone who shares your faith? Now, I know, by the way, really quick, I know that this series, there's a reason this was a short series. I know this series has been a little more intense than the way we normally preach. It's been a little more challenging, a little more in your face than maybe what you're used to at Emmanuel. We've walked through lists of like really practical, like here's how you can do this at our church right now. Uh, and I know that for some of you, you've been like, that's, hey, <laughs> that's a little much. That's not how we normally do church here. Uh, and I get that. But I also think this has been a really helpful thing for us been challenging on purpose. And it's been challenging on purpose, guys, because as your pastor, one of my deepest longings, one of my most consistent prayers is that you guys would grow in your faith, is that you guys would become more like Christ, that you would take your faith seriously, that you wouldn't be nominal Christians who figured out a rhythm of how to show up at church and make friends, but your faith ends at the name, right? Nominal and name only. One of my deepest, most consistent prayers for you guys is that Jesus would actually change your heart, actually change you from the inside out, that your faith would be something that grounds you, that speaks into all of your life. Guys, this doesn't happen by accident. <coughs> Having a, a vibrant, life-giving, like, like actually holistic faith doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen when you stay in your comfort in your silos. It happens when God's people take his call to live life intentionally, seriously. And so we've purposely been a little extra challenging the last couple weeks. Today we're going to land this discussion out. And we're going to land it where it started. We're going to land at our mission statement. We believe that as Christ pours into you, he pours out of you. Guys, what, what we mean by that is this. Your spiritual growth and health will result in your sharing your faith. In fact, guys, mission or evangelism or sharing your faith, whatever term you want to use, that must be born out of spiritual vitality. It is an overflow ministry. Christ pours into you. And when you experience and receive the love, the grace, the connection of Christ, what you will find is that there's more than enough to go around. That Christ loves you so much. That he has such grace for you, such patience for you, such acceptance of you, such kind, loving care for you, that you can't help but give that to others. When you receive that kind of love, it changes you. And you begin to treat others the way you've been treated. It's a beautiful thing. We're going to look at that today out of Psalm 67. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn over to Psalm 67. If you don't have a Bible with you today, uh, we really believe in the importance of God's Word here at Emmanuel. We have house Bibles around the room. If you look under the chairs in front of you, you'll find one eventually, I'm sure. Uh, and I would invite you, by the way, if you're here today and you don't own a Bible, uh, I would invite you to just snag one of those house Bibles and take it home. Or even better, uh, talk to one of the pastors. We will give you one that has larger print uh, than the house Bibles. <laughs> the small print is, I guess, your punishment for not bringing your own Bible to church. I don't know. <laughs> It's just the cheap ones, guys. That's the ones we can afford. I'm sorry. I can't read them either. Psalm 67. Guys, could we have picked, I mean, could we have picked a better Sunday to talk about sharing your faith than Baptism Sunday? Woo! Baptism Sunday is the best Sunday, right? It's the best one. Uh, if you didn't know that, if you were walking in today going, why is there a swimming pool in front of the church? <laughs> 
Uh, it's because today's Baptism Sunday. We're celebrating Chase today, uh, who gave her radical yes to Jesus. And she's dying that I just said her name on the stage. But, but Chase, we are celebrating God's grace in your life today. I'm so glad you're here. What a cool thing. We're going to do that after the gathering, by the way. So if you're normally someone who jets really quick, don't. Hang out. Celebrate newness of life with us. So, Psalm 67. I'm going to read this for us, then we'll pray, and then we're going to talk about what it means to share your faith. Psalm 67, starting in the first verse, we read this. May God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face shine upon us so that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among the nations. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations rejoice and shout for joy. For you judge the peoples with fairness. You lead the nations on earth. Let all the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has produced its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. God will bless us. And all the ends of the earth will fear him. And this, beloved, is the word of the Lord for us today. Pray with me, church. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you deeply, Lord, for the gift of your gospel. You have been so good to us, Lord. God, today as we take a few minutes to consider your word, to consider what it means to be a people who join you in your mission, Lord, I just pray that you would give us fresh ears, fresh eyes, that for those of us who've known you a long time, for those of us who've heard about you for a long time, God, I pray that you would cut through a little bit of the callousness in our hearts and that we would consider you afresh today. God, we love you. We need you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Let's talk about this beautiful text. Last summer, we spent the whole summer in the Psalms, and it was such a cool thing. I don't think the Psalms get preached on enough. And I think the reason they don't is because in general, as Americans, I think we're all kind of just done with poetry, right? Like you, you, in high school, you had to read poems, but it was always like really weird assignments of like sonnets written in the 1700s. And I think a lot of us just decided uh, poetry is weird and lame, it doesn't make sense. And we moved on, right? Like I have Netflix, I don't need poetry. Uh, but here's the thing, guys, like poetry is a really universal human experience. Human beings make poems. And there's something about poetry that I think is just unique amongst writing. That It doesn't just invite you to transfer information from the author to you for you to learn, but it invites you to feel what the writer was feeling. It invites you to consider it with, with a more holistic part of yourself. And when we engage the Psalms, we're engaging poetry inspired and written and preserved by the Holy Spirit. God inviting you into a little bit of his heart. I think there's something really beautiful about that. I think, we, I think we do well to sit in the Psalms and let them kind of marinate in our hearts a little bit. Psalm 67 is a beautiful psalm and an interesting psalm. It's relatively short. We don't know much about it other than it was a call to worship. We don't know who wrote this psalm, but we know that it was used in ancient Israel's temple worship to call the gathering together. Honestly, like literally the same way we do it here. We begin, you know, they're singing a song and someone comes up and they're like, we're so glad you're here. God's so good. Let's sing together. You know that thing like we do at the beginning, like the call to worship? That's what this psalm was for. One of the priests, one of the leaders would come up and sing or read this psalm over the people to draw the congregation together in their corporate worship. I think that's really beautifully. It, it, it sings to us in three movements. And so we're going to walk through each one. And then we're going to see how each one of these, I think, kind of speaks to our understanding of mission. So 
Verse 1 is the first movement. This is the blessing. May God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face shine upon us. Now, that may have seemed familiar to you guys uh, because I read you number 6 this morning, right? As our call to worship. And this psalm is quoting the priestly blessing from number 6 as a way of opening up this song. I'm going to reread that text to you because I think it's actually important for us understanding our text today. Number six, this is what I read in the call to worship today. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. You should say to them, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you his peace. And in this way, the priest will pronounce my name over all the Israelites and I will bless them. What we see in our psalm today as the singer, the speaker, is bringing us back to this, this universal priestly blessing, right? The, the way the priests were supposed to bless the congregation continually. That number six passage was part of the ancient established liturgy for the temple worship. When major sacrifices happened, when feast days happened, the priestly blessing was proclaimed over God's people. By opening our, our psalm, our call to worship with that, the singer is inviting us to remember how God identified his people. This blessing, guys, was deeply connected to the identity of the Hebrew people. Who are we? We're God's blessed people. And this is a communal expression of faith, right? The blessing, the priestly blessing wasn't spoken over individuals. It was spoken over Israel. It's who they were as a people as a family of faith. This is how God identified them, how he spoke to them through their ministers, through the priests in corporate worship. Because we've already said this a couple times in this series, but there just is no such thing as solo faith in the Bible. Yes, you as an individual are responsible for how you engage and respond to Christ and engage his gospel. You must, as an individual, come to Christ Submit to his lordship. Engage salvation, right? But your identity is never as an individual. You're brought into the family of God. It's a corporate identity. You're drawn into something larger than just yourself. Spiritual life and spiritual growth is always going to be communal. It's always going to be moving. It's not static. It's not individual. And guys, I think we see here that the speaker of the psalm is intentionally drawing the people to worship with the whole of their faith journey in mind. By, by quoting this really familiar blessing that they would have heard their whole lives, by using that to draw them into worship, he's drawing them into worship saying, hey, really quick, before we do this, remember who you are. Remember why you're here. Remember who we are. Remember what we're doing. Keep your faith journey in mind because corporate worship is not separate from individual worship. Corporate worship is not separate from worship in your home with your family. Corporate worship is not separate from your individual intimate prayer life. They flow into one another. They flow into one another. If you remember the other, the other famous Hebrew blessing is in Deuteronomy 6, the Shema. And it talks about how, how, how we are to take our faith and incorporate it into the nuts and bolts of our life. 
when the Shema blessing is given, it says, it says, take this blessing, write it on the doorposts of your house. Write it out and, and bind it to your wrists and put it on your forehead and talk about it together. Talk to your friends and family about it. When you're eating meals, when you're doing your work, when you're walking down the street, come back to who you are, who God says you are. Scriptures teach that the Israelites were to practice their faith, their worship, corporately at the temple, but also at home with their family, with their neighbors, with their friends, in their own hearts, because it's all unified. It's all one thing. So the call to worship says, hey, we're about to worship. Remember who you are. You're in Christ. You're the family of God. Movement two is verses two through four. So that... Your way may be known on earth, your salvation among the nations. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples <laughs> praise you. Let the nations rejoice and shout for joy, for you judge the peoples with fairness. You lead the nations on earth. I love this because immediately the speaker in the psalm connects the idea of our personal, our home, our communal worship, our identity in Christ to the whole rest of the world. <laughs> Do you see that? He starts with, hey, we're going to get into this. Remember who you are. Remember why we're here. Now let's think about literally everyone else for a second. The speaker asks for God's blessing on his people. Lord, bless us. Make your face shine upon us. Why? Why does he ask for the blessing? So that the nations may see God. According to the speaker in the psalm, the blessing of God is a testimony to those who are far from him. Do you hear that? He starts off, he says, let's get together, we're going to worship. Remember who you are. Remember who God is. Remember who he says you are. Remember the family of faith you've brought in. Remember the blessing God has given you because that testimony proclaims the gospel to those who are far from God. The speaker wants the nations to know God, to know his salvation, to praise him, to know his good justice and rule. Guys, this isn't surface level. The speaker wants the people of earth to know God through the testimony of Israel. And guys, there is something to this thought. The testimony proclaims the goodness of God. In Revelation 12, there's this moment where you know, in the book of Revelations, the Apostle John receives this vision from Jesus about what it will be like when Christ returns and restores all things. And in Revelation 12, there's this bit where they're talking about Christ's final triumph over all of sin and all of evil and all of the curse and Satan himself. And it's pictured in this war between Christ and this dragon. And when Christ finally slays the enemy and all evil, all wrong, all sin, Satan himself, death itself, the curse itself, when it is defeated, the text says, how was it defeated? What brought about the victory? Romans 12, 11 says, it is by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. It is the blood of Jesus, the accomplished work of Jesus on the cross, and the testimony of his church that defeats Satan and evil and the curse. That, that story... Look who Christ is. Look what he's done for me. Look at my life. Look how Christ changed me. There is power, beloved, in the testimony of the church. Our lives in Christ are God's gospel made visible. We were once given over to the flesh. We were once given over to our sin. We were once given over to the ways of this world. But now in Christ, we are new. Now in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. Yes, we still sin. Yes, we still struggle. Yes, we still fall into those old patterns continually, but we are inherently different people. 
We're no longer driven by our most base sinful desires, but rather we do battle with our flesh. And it is the very spirit that rose Jesus from the dead that dwells within us and helps us to find victory over our sin and to be made more like him. Christ has made us different. Sin no longer owns us as the taskmaster. Rather, we do battle with it and we find victory through Christ. Beloved, that is your testimony in Jesus. There's power in your testimony. Church, hear me. Hear me. You and me, our spiritual vitality, our growth in faith, our sanctification, our journey with Christ is a testimony of the glory of God to a world in desperate need of Him. There's power in your story. And notice, by the way, notice that the desire of the singer is that the peoples of the world would worship God. Did you catch that? The nations be glad that the peoples of the earth, that all the peoples of the earth praise the Lord. John Piper, the the pastor, he wrote a book about missions and he used this psalm as the title for the book. The, The book is called, Let the Nations Be Glad. And he has this line in the beginning of the book where he says, missions, evangelism, those missions exists because worship doesn't. It's the only reason they exist. Someday, in heaven, when all things are restored, when sin is destroyed, when Christ is reigning eternally, worship will be going on. Missions will have ceased. We'll be done with missions. Because all of Christ will be gathered unto him and they will be engaging in worship. It's because people made in God's image, made for connection with him, are living separate from him. They're not living in worship. Because that's reality, missions are needed. Missions are needed. Because this is simultaneously beautiful and terrifying. Beautiful and terrifying. In Philippians 2, there's this beautiful passage called the Christ Hymn, where Paul expounds on who Christ is and his beautiful work on our behalf. And he goes from his, uh, from his life, his perfect life, to his death, to his resurrection, and to his eventual return. And there's this bit at the end where it says this. I'm talking about Jesus. So that when Christ returns... At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Guys, when Jesus returns to restore all things, every living thing in all of reality will worship him according to the scripture. The mission will cease, and worship will be the thing that happens. Every knee bowed, every tongue worshiping and confessing his lordship, Here's the deal, though, guys. For those of us who are in Christ, that will be one of the most beautiful moments you've ever experienced in all of your life. A beautiful moment of unified worship and victory and life and joy and freedom in Christ. But for those who have rejected Christ, for Satan, for those who said no, followed the desires of their own flesh, guys, they don't get an out from this. They, too, will bend the knee. Satan himself will bend the knee and proclaim Jesus' kingship. But it will not be out of joy and out of worship. It will be out of defeat and in submission. It will be to their end, to their eternal destruction. It will be the most horrific moment. It's an intense way to say that. Because here's the deal, guys. In Christ, we long for all peoples to worship God. But because of Philippians 2, we know that they all will. (laughs) But we also long, not just that all peoples would know God and worship Him, but that they would do so with joy. That 
Christ's return and every knee bowing and every tongue confessing would be a moment of victory for all peoples. That it would be a moment of people's joyful connection to their Savior. The sight of salvation, the sight of the rule and justice of God, it can be the deepest comfort or the singular most terrifying truth in all of reality. And when we say we long for the whole earth, for all peoples to know God, we're longing for them to know Him in joy and comfort. Movement three, the way this lands out. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has produced its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. God will bless us. And all the ends of the earth will fear him. The text lands by wrapping it all back together. The blessing of God's people, their life, their testimony, their connection to God. These things point people to salvation. They're a proclamation of who God is. They're an invitation to come and receive all of God's goodness. Because, beloved, hear this. Here and now, the gospel is always an invitation. A day will come when Jesus returns, and it will be done. It will be too late. But we know that God tarries that that invitation might go out further. Second Peter 3 says it beautifully. The Lord does not delay his promise, meaning his return to restore all things. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but rather he is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but wanting all to come to repentance. Guys, God longs for all to be saved. So he delays that the invitation might go to more. And beyond this, by the way, he doesn't tell us to just wait. He tells those who are his, his children, to go out looking. Beloved, the gospel is free. And all are invited. All are invited to come receive life and freedom and joy in Christ. There is room, to use the, the analogy of Revelation, there are empty seats at the wedding feast of the Lamb. At the ultimate restoration of all things, there is room for more people. You know, Jesus talks about his return. He, he gives this, this metaphor of, of a wedding feast and, the, and, and all the people have been invited, but they're not showing up. And so the, 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 the person giving the banquet sends his servants and says, go, find people. Bring people in to enjoy my hospitality. I want to I give generously. Please bring people in so this party doesn't go to waste. God longs for all to experience his grace, for all to know him in joy, for all to find life and freedom in him. And so he says to his servants, go out, compel guests to come to my feast. We're to go to the streets and the alleys and the hedges to seek out any and all who might come and partake in the hospitality of the Father. Any and all, regardless of who they are, regardless of how deserving they may be, regardless of how out of place they may look at a party that nice, God says, go fill up my home. Let's get every seat filled. Our God is good. His gospel is good. His heart is for the lost. His heart is for the sinner. It's for the hurting. And we, we get to join him in that amazing work of calling his own unto him. Whew. So guys, what does that mean? <laughs> what does that actually look like? How does that happen for individual believers? How does that happen here at Emmanuel, right? Like, I can say that, and we're talking about this beautiful text, but we're talking about poetry. We're using metaphors. 
There's not actually like a feast somewhere under a tent with empty chairs that you need to go grab people and take them to it, right? It's a, it's a metaphor for the kingdom. So what the heck am I saying? What does it mean to share your faith? How do you join with Christ in the work of seeking and saving the lost? Well, guys, I think right here there's a challenge for us that is as simple as this. Spiritual growth will always lead to participation in the mission. Always. 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 Spiritual vitality results in sharing your faith. It does. What I mean, beloved, is that the mission, the mission is the natural outpouring of spiritual vitality. If you're not already on mission, if you're not already in the practice of sharing your faith and inviting others to come and know Christ as you know him, if you're not already joining with Jesus to seek and save the lost, you need to genuinely search your heart and ask yourself if your faith has stagnated. Are you actually finding life in Jesus yourself? Is there actual life in your faith right now? That's a heavy question. We need to sit with that for a second. John Piper gives this analogy for the Christian faith I think is interesting. He says, following Christ is like walking up a down escalator. Is anyone, anyone else, like in high school, immature enough that you know exactly what he's talking about? <laughs> like spent a little too much time at the shopping mall with your friends and got to that moment where you're like, I'm going to run up the down escalator, watch me. Uh, and then you do, and um, just me? Okay. <laughs> Some of you are like, what is a shopping mall? <laughs> Oh, if you've ever gone up a down escalator, you know what he's talking about. It's, I mean, if you're a teenager, it's probably just a fun and goofy thing to do. I did that a lot when I was younger. But the thing about walking up a down escalator is you remove one of your options. See, if you're walking up a set of stairs, you can go up, you can go down, or you can stand still. But if you start walking up a down escalator, you lose one of those options. You can go up, or you can go down. But you can't stand still, Right? I think this is where the analogy becomes helpful for us in our faith. You are either growing in your faith or you are withering in your faith. There is no resting on your laurels. There's no such thing as stagnation in your faith. There's declining in your holiness and there's growing in your holiness. Those are your two options. You don't get to sit and tell others about how amazing and strong your faith was 15 years ago. It doesn't matter how vibrant your church was, how many weekends you served in children's, how many short-term mission trips you used to go on back when you were single. You don't get to stand on those things today. Those testimonies are beautiful and powerful and you should share them. They're wonderful and we were all rejuvenated by being reminded of God's faithfulness. But you don't get to measure your spiritual vitality today off of your spiritual vitality 20 years ago, or five years ago, or a year ago. You just don't. It's not how it works. Are you trusting in Jesus today? Are you seeking after Christ right now? Were his mercies fresh and new to you this morning? Are you growing in your faith now or are you coasting? Because I guarantee coasting means you're slowing down. It means momentum is being lost. I guarantee if you're coasting, you're declining. If you're not growing in affection for Christ, you are growing in affection for the things of this world. 
Because remember our mission as a church. As Christ pours in you, he pours out of you. Mission, sharing your faith, is an overflow ministry out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks, Jesus says. What is in you is what comes out of you. Beloved, we are human beings, and human beings talk about what we're excited about. Period. We just do. It doesn't matter if you're super extroverted and you've never met a stranger and you love talking to people all the time, or if you're an extrovert and you hate talking to literally anyone. People talk about what they're excited about. The group of people whom you talk to it about may be smaller or larger, but we talk about what we're excited about. And if you don't believe me, wait till the Sunday after Black Friday. I've made this joke in this space a lot, but it's true. The first time you hang out with someone after Black Friday, and you all, you're all you already, already thinking of three people. I know it. Someone you know in your life is like, oh my gosh, you will not believe the deal I got on Friday. I got in line at Best Buy Tuesday evening at 6 p.m. I slept there. I was dehydrated. I actually had to be hospitalized for 24 hours. But I got a 90-inch OLED TV for $9. <laughs> right? <laughs> we talk about what we're excited about and if you don't believe me wait till you get a good deal on something <laughs> because you will tell everyone for two weeks afterward right what do you think about that new TV in there yeah I picked it up last week like that's how we are you talk about what you're excited about it's just a matter of if you're introvert or extrovert it's a matter of how many people you talk to about it right but we do because if you are committed to growing in Christ so that he overflows out of you into your immediate relationships, you'll, you'll, you'll talk about it. If you're actually finding life and joy in Jesus, if, if the gospel is actually bringing you increasing peace, increasing freedom from sin, increasing like just joy and contentment in the midst of chaos and anxiety, increasing intimacy in your relationships and marriage and parenting and grandparenting and cohort, all those different things, if you're actually experiencing the gospel, if Jesus is doing in your life what this Bible says he does for his children, then you will talk about it because it's wonderful. It's joyful. It's life-giving. It's exciting. So, let me give a couple thoughts. I'm going to give you, I'm going to end by giving you four practical ways this actually can happen in our church family here today. Because you have to remember, mission is actually more than evangelism. It's never going to be less than evangelism, right? But it's more than that. To join Jesus in making disciples who makes disciples means both discipling the Christians in your life and seeking out the lost to help them become disciples. It's both. It's both and. Making disciples who make disciples means pouring yourself out that those who already know Christ might grow in Christ and pouring yourself out that those who don't know Christ may know him. So the first thing is this. Are you discipling others? Or if you are in Christ, are you talking to other people in Christ about how they may grow in their faith? Pure and simple. Is find someone in our church who needs to grow in Christ. I'll give you a hint. It's literally all of us. <laughs> literally every single person you look at. Maybe, you know, I they need to grow in Christ. They do. We all do. Hang out with them. Get together for coffee before work or on the weekend. Pray and read the Bible. There you go. Do that. Pick a book of the Bible like Galatians and go, hey, let's get coffee before work for a couple weeks, a couple months, a couple forever because I read really slow. 
and read through Galatians and pray about it together. Yeah, do that. And guys, if you want to do discipleship that will actually be evangelistic, right? If you want to do the kind of discipleship where you're hanging out with lost people and telling them about Jesus, I got three quick ideas for you. Uh, Go serve in our kids' ministry. There's a whole bunch of little pagans down there who don't know Christ. (laughs) And some of you are like, yes and amen. (laughs) But seriously, seriously. Guys, our children's ministry is our number one evangelistic ministry. God has trusted us to proclaim the gospel to his kids who he loves and made in his image. If you want to learn how to be more evangelistic, go serve our kids because they're lost and they need to know Christ. Jump in and serve in the youth ministry. Guys, that's evangelistic ministry as uh, we're doing a baptism today, right? Go serve our students. Go tell them how good Jesus is, how faithful he's been to you. Jump into our senior care ministry. Go participate in worship and discipleship with folk who are stuck in nursing homes, who have no ability to go out and be a part of a church family. Some of, their, some of them are in Christ and need to be discipled. Some of them don't know Christ, and they're just bored on a Sunday, so they'll go hang out. Go preach the gospel, beloved. These are, these are just ministries that exist in our church right now. This isn't me like telling you to learn how to do cold call sales and go knock on your neighbor's door. This is me telling you, like, sign up for a thing our church is already doing and tell lost people about Jesus, right? Disciple others. Guys, go, or you could, by the way, just go hang out with lost people you know who need Jesus and tell them about him. Like, that's discipleship, disciple making as well. Number one, disciple others. Number two, know your testimony and share it. This may sound basic, but trust me, it's not. Many of us haven't considered our testimony for a long time. But remember, guys, remember we talked about, that thing has power. It works with the blood of Jesus to overcome Satan himself. Your story with Jesus is the most powerful and true way you can share the gospel to those who need it. Period. Your story is powerful. Beloved, if you were in Christ, then once you were dead, but now you were alive. Once you were given over to the ways of the world, but now you were given over to Christ. Once you were headed for destruction, and now you were being sanctified toward life eternal. That's a supernatural story of power and life and joy. That is your story. It's your story if you're in Christ. Know your testimony. Consider opportunities to share. We're starting back up GCs right now. They're all having their first meeting last week, this week, next week. Man, what a great opportunity to sit with brothers and sisters and remind each other your testimony. Share your story of how Christ sought you and saved you and called you from death to life. Know your story. You know why? Because as you know your story and you're more familiar with it, it will come up in more conversations. If you're someone who is concerned about the salvation of your family, maybe that's siblings, maybe that's kids, maybe that's grandkids, most effective way you're going to tell them about Jesus is when they hear your story. Because your family knows the good you and the bad you, right? They see the you that doesn't come to church on Sundays. Like, they see that, that you, you know? And so when they hear your story, how you are a sinner and you actually do love the evil things of this world, but Christ has saved you. Christ has made you new. Christ has drawn you from death to life. And Christ walks with you every single day in your battle against sin. There is power in that, beloved. Know your story. Consider your story. If you haven't thought about it in a long time, take some time to write it down. Ask your GC if you can share your testimony one night. Third, 
Actually make the big, bold move. Share your testimony and the gospel with someone who needs it. Right? Like that's, that's the challenging one. That's the scary one, especially for those of us who are introverted. But remember, beloved, faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing, and they won't hear it if no one speaks. You know, we, there's that old, that old cliche phrase, right? Like, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. That's a beautiful thing. Yes, you should live your life in a godly way that represents Christ well. Don't hear me dissing that idea. But preach the gospel and yes, use words. Because the gospel is communicated through words, not just actions. Actions are important. If it's just words, you're a hypocrite. <laughs> live a godly life. But at some point, you must use words so that your friend, your family, your neighbor knows, knows that your actions are not rooted in the fact that you're just a real swell person. They're rooted in Christ. And that means boldness. That means bravery. That means putting yourself out there and being vulnerable. Putting yourself out there in a way that might get you rejected. That is a scary thing. But guys, it is so important. You can't just assume. You can't just assume that the people in your life are going to figure out the gospel by osmosis. And especially, I know I already said this, I'm going to say it again, especially if we're talking about your family, your siblings, your spouse, your kids, your grandkids. Beloved, do not take it for granted that someone else in this church is going to preach the gospel to them. You are in their life. They know you. They love you. Gospel your family. Tell your family your testimony. Take your grandkid out for donuts on a Saturday and tell them your story. They'll listen. They'll hear. They're getting free donuts. They'll hear it. <laughs> Invite your adult kids to go do something fun. And say, have I ever told you my story about how I came to know Christ? Tell them your story. Even though, yeah, you've told me most of it. Can I tell you the whole thing? Your siblings, your spouse, talk to them. I know that takes boldness. I know that's scary, but guys, the gospel must be proclaimed to be heard and believed. So we must preach the word, brothers and sisters. We must preach the word of faithfulness, which leads me to my last point. This is where we're going to land today. Pray, 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 pray. I know that many of you just had a micro panic attack when I told you that you need to talk to a stranger or talk to someone you know about Jesus because you're like, I don't, I don't talk to people. <laughs> If that's you, listen, I get it. I still stand by it. We have to be bold, but I get it. It takes bravery to proclaim the gospel. But beloved, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can be brave. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you can be brave. But there's another aspect of mission that requires no special bravery. And that is to pray to the Lord of the harvest. Just a few weeks ago, we read this in Matthew, right? Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest that he may send more workers out into the field. Jesus tells us, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Beloved, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Pray for the lost in your life and in this world. Pray when you walk in your neighborhood. Pray when you drive to work. Pray when you go to stores and restaurants as you begin to learn the names of people in your community. Pray for them. Beloved, God is the one who is doing the work of seeking and saving the lost. So talk to him about the mission. Bring those whom you love to the Father in prayer and ask him to save them. Ask him to give you opportunities that don't feel awkward, that don't feel scary. 
Ask him to give you supernatural invitations to share the gospel with people you love. Pray that prayer for a few months and see what God does in your life. Pray consistently for that grandkid, that kid, and just say, Lord, will you just, will you work? Will you bring up a conversation that's not awkward, it's not scary? Will you, will you do that work? Pray that for three months. See what God does in your life. I don't care who you are. I don't care how introverted or extroverted you are. If you are in Christ, you can pray for the lost. So pray. So pray. Beloved, we've talked about a lot these last few weeks. We've talked a lot about you practically engaging your faith, and we've pushed you guys hard. And there's a reason. You will never be fully on mission if you are not finding your deepest life and freedom and joy in Jesus. And being on mission matters. Being on mission matters. There is real need in this world. And it's a need in your own heart to grow in your faith. And the call to go and make disciples is urgent. Beloved, there is room at the table that Jesus is coming back. There are those, those who you and I know and love, who if nothing changes in their lives, they will meet God in worship only as they surrender their hearts to his wrath and justice. That is a dreadful thought, but a real one according to the scripture. So let us be people of prayer. Let us be people, people who chase after Jesus in our own lives. Let us be a people who find such joy and life in Christ that we cannot help but share him. Chris, if you want to come back up, I want to invite you guys to do this as we land out today. Purely and simply, I'm going to invite us to take two or three minutes to pray. And, and you know, I mean, listen, that has been really hard on, on, you know, the intensity of the call. So if you're in this place and you're someone who's considering your own faith journey, your own relationship with Christ, and maybe some of that was scary for you or hit on some doubts for you, I want to encourage you to pray about that. You can grab one of our deacons, grab one of our pastors, me, Craig and Jesse are all three here. We'd love to chat with you about how you can feel secure and safe in your own salvation, your own testimony. We are here and available for that right now or afterward or whenever. And so that's you today. If that was a little like, oh my gosh, that was kind of scary, uh, and you need to do some work with Christ, I'm going to invite you to do that. But I also want you to take just a minute to consider those who you know and love who don't know Jesus. Not because you're trying to guilt them, not because you're on some weird power trip, but just because you love them and you care for them. Because the gospel matters. I want to invite you to take a few minutes to think of their face, think of their name, and bring them before Jesus and just say, Lord, would you save this person I love? Would you work in their heart as you worked in my heart? draw them to repentance and life and love? Would you give them the gift you've given me, Lord? I want to see you move in their lives. Take a few minutes to pray for the people in your life and your circle who you know, who you love, who you care about. And then we're going to take communion. We're going to end out our time in worship. Sound good? Beloved, take a few minutes to do the work you need to do with Jesus.